Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week, our guest is author and former advisor to presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg, Liz Smith. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write in at politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, and don't forget to tell us where you're from. Please check out the links to this week's sponsors, Miracle Brand, Raycon, and Real Paper in the show notes. We thank you for supporting our sponsors. It helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, James, you know, there are important elections in August, primaries in Wisconsin, Arizona, the challenge to Liz Cheney in Wyoming. But in the top tier is Kansas, which on August the 2nd, less than two weeks from now, will vote on abortion, specifically whether to end the state's constitutional protection for abortion. It's the first electoral test since the Supreme Court's decision overturning abortion protections. And even though Republicans stack the deck and far outnumber Democrats in that in that state, it seems like it's very close. 538 released a poll showing that the anti-abortionists hold a slim 47 to 33 percent lead, but Democrats are more energized than Republicans. Now, you know, this is a really good test for pro-choice advocates. So to go to Kansas, send money to Kansas, volunteer, help the Kansans for constitutional freedom at the phone banks. James, if Kansas, that's Kansas, Dorothy, if Kansas votes pro-choice, it will be a signal heard around the political world this year. Well, it, 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 I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, I think like Scott Brown or Harris Rothwood, but, but, you know, most important non-election day election that I can remember. And I, I, maybe you can think of something else, but this is as important as one. Let, let, mm-hmm. let me, because there's some more context to this. The Kansas Supreme Court held that the, the, the right was enshrined in the Kansas Constitution. And that was, I think it was 2019. So the Kansas legislature, the supermajority of Republicans, they put it on a ballot. But but even more importantly, it was supposed to be on a ballot in November. They're putting it on the ballot August 2nd, which is not even two weeks away. Understand this. In Kansas, there's a Democratic governor. There's not going to be a primary. All right, August 2nd is primary day. There are literally, I don't know, hundreds of Republican primaries all through Kansas, because in most places, you win the election by winning the primary. And they had polled it and found out that they would lose if they if they had a general election electorate. And so they was really sneaky. They rushed it on the ballot to put it where all these candidates would be getting Republican voters out. It appears that I think the story is being undercovered. I, yeah, there's some some national coverage. There should be a thousand times more given its importance. And if, in fact, 
the the no side, which is the side that, that doesn't want a constitutional amendment, if they win, that will that's going to be really significant. It's going to tell you a lot about enthusiasm, tell you a lot about turnout, and it's going to demoralize Republican voters. They're going to get demoralized something awful Thursday night. I mean, I, I think that's one of the, the real benefits of this January 6th. The January 6th hearings. Right. It's, yes. It, it's tomorrow night. It, whatever you do, don't miss it. Don't miss it. I'm telling you, don't miss it. But but this is the ramifications of this are, are, are really stunning. And the possibility, and you're exactly right, send money. You know, if you if you can figure out how to call people in Kansas, a phone bank, and and I, I am high on targeting. It's one political thing to remember about the choice issue. Is no difference in females view a choice based on education, race, or anything else. But target non-college females. The college, the people in Lawrence, in, in you know, Johnson County, Olathe, they, they the all city, right? know what they're doing. All right, they're coming out and vote. It's, you, you need the waitress at the truck stop in Salina to come out. This is an election where you're going to get Mabel to vote. Mabel votes, we're going to be good. Yeah, I agree. And I want to say to all those people who are picketing Brett Kavanaugh's house or the Supreme Court, I, you know, it's the first thing that's constitutional right. It doesn't do any good. Uh, it's probably counterproductive. Uh, don't pretend you were handcuffed when you were not. Go out to Kansas if you can. If you can't go out to Kansas, send money. Uh, if you can't do that, uh, try to help them with the phone banks out there. That's what will make a difference. You know, Kansas. The squad, don't go to Kansas. Don't, don't go right. to Kansas. Okay, no, they don't want you. They don't need you. Just stay right. right. Go ahead and get, do fake handcuffs if that's what you got to do, you know, to get attention. Is because we have this perform. You know, politics is a performance art. But but yes, ordinary you know people go to Kansas. It just this just gives me how useless progressive Washington is. I mean, we had Ryan. Well, Grimmel. James, we're going to give them a chance to get back in your good graces if they'll go to Kansas or do something. They have a they chance. Do something. That's, that's going to be hard. No, <clears throat> AOC, Rashida, you know, don't go to Kansas. Stay what? Stay, stay in Washington. You're fine right there. <laughs> Listen, Kansas is one of a minority of states. Before this uh, ballot, ballot uh, initiative on uh, the second of August that's not really affected by the court's Dobbs decisions. Out there, abortions remain legal up to 22 weeks. That's the viability um, standard. Uh, there are few uh, restrictions like a 24-hour waiting period, but states around it are going to go and uh, they're going to ban abortions. And if Kansas elects a Republican governor in November, there is a good chance the legislature and the governor next year could ban abortions totally in Kansas. So there really is a great deal at stake. And uh, August the 2nd. James, one thing, let me just say about watching those hearings. Those, that January 6th hearings will be tonight, Thursday night. Uh, so be sure and tune in. James is absolutely right. So, so yes, and, and remember this, uh, maybe 80% of the people live in eastern Kansas, which, I, you know, you're going to go to Missouri? I don't think so. You're going to go to Arkansas? I don't think so. You're going to go to Oklahoma? I don't think so. Uh, even Nebraska? I don't think so. I, I mean, it's going to be, if this thing passes, it'll be what they refer to is an abortion desert in the middle of the country. So it's really, uh, yeah. I, I mean, the more no. that you think about this, the bigger it is. This is a huge, 
huge, profoundly critical and important election. I'm, and by the way, I'm going Sunday. I'm, uh, I'm going to try to get on our Sunday call from the airplane, but there's no way. I, that wild horses couldn't keep me out of Kansas. When James Carville goes to Kansas, you know it is big. August 2nd, yep. Kansas, uh, right, it will be, uh, it, it'll have huge, uh, huge reverberations and uh, people, in, instead of protesting and, and picketing, uh, get involved with Kansas. James, another big issue is, is big stuff is happening down in Georgia. The Fulton County DA, as uh, a grand jury and a criminal investigation of Donald Trump, subpoenaed big shots nationally like Rudy Giuliani and Lindsey Graham and also top Georgia Republicans. Uh, this, this could be the biggest deal yet on Trump, or at least the first big deal on Trump. Uh, and I think that uh, it's clear Republicans are scared by this. I don't know this woman, Fonnie Willis, but she seems to be quite tough. She's brought in an outside expert who is, a, who is the uh, expert on the RICO, the racketeering statutes. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you, if I were the Donald and some of his allies, uh, I, I, I would be quite nervous about what's going on in Fulton County. You know, I have been on this whole RICO, 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 and uh, I hope that next week we're, we're hopeful that we'll have an authority on the Georgia RICO statute. The, the thing about Fannie Willis that, that has not been, maybe it's been noted, but it hasn't been noted near enough. She supervised the most complex criminal case in the history of the United States. And that was the Atlanta schools case, where there were multiple instances right. of, of schools or teachers and, and altering tests to make them look better. And it was a very, very, very complicated, wide-ranging prosecution that was successful. So this is this. Don't kid yourself. This is a person who didn't just fall off the turnip truck. This is a person who is very skilled at putting together a team to deal with very complicated litigation, and more importantly, very complicated criminal litigation. So that, that there's just some other things that you have. You have a, what we believe we'll find out for sure. Hopefully next week, Georgia has an op overly aggressive RICO statute, and it's being pursued by anybody's measure, a, a highly competent and experienced prosecutor, and who has brought in, I am told, some really some some re really top people including the foremost expert on racketeering. So that's a that's certainly a sign. And I think there's great nervousness. Lindsey Graham, who first said, I ain't showing up for any subpoena, uh, has changed his mind. You'll remember it was Senator Graham from the state of South Carolina who called the Secretary of State in Georgia uh, to basically inquire about whether they could... Uh, they could uh, right. do something about that vote tally that was coming in that wasn't going Trump's way. Uh, and I imagine Georgia Republicans must be just apoplectic, James, because she subpoenaed, I believe, both the lieutenant gubernatorial candidate in Georgia and the, the state party chair, former state party chair. Yes. And, and, and the lieutenant governor candidate does not get along well at all with the governor. They have almost a non-existent relationship, I'm told, because, you know, Trump did everything he could to try to beat the governor. And the guy is very Trumpian. And this is something that can help a little bit on the margins is the de Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor in Georgia. And the lieutenant governor has a little more power than most places. He's kind of the president of the Senate there. And he's got can appoint committees. Of course, it's going to be a Republican legislature. But it, 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 it's more than just a 
you know, place where you just wait for the governor to die. And there's a guy named Charlie Bailey, who's a good friend of mine, who is a very, very experienced, who worked for Fannie Willis in the Fulton County's DA office, and very strong on crime and prosecution. And I, I, I think that he and Stacy can run, you know, as a team. And, you know, public safety is a huge issue in Georgia. And she can point to the fact that she has Charlie on a ticket, and it, it, it's a good kind of yin and yang. So, yes, it, uh, it, it's something I, I think they should uh, accentuate it, it, because Brian Kemp and that lieutenant governor can't stand each other. Not people going to really vote on lieutenant governor. Yeah, not, you know, but, but atmospherically and, you know, when you're down to fighting for every vote and every perception, you could help. You know, it could help. Yeah, yeah. It sure could. One of the issues, you know, the, the federal protocol says basically that in the months, a couple of months before the election, you don't hand down an indictment that has political ramifications. That's not a, a law uh, or a rule, but it is, but it is, it's been followed as protocol. I don't know what the case is in Georgia, but uh, uh, she gave an interview the other day where she basically said, don't rule out indictments this fall. So we'll see. But it's a big it's a big story. I think I read a story this morning, too, where uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland has endorsed that Justice Department policy. Yeah, he got he got criticized by some lefties, but that's a longstanding policy. That's not a, that's yeah, not a Merrick yeah, Garland yeah, I mean, policy. They, they just, I mean, you know, these people just run their mouths for the sake of running their mouths. They, don't, they think they're going to get more online. I ignited donations. the James Carville passions again about the lefties. Okay, so watch Kansas and watch Georgia. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hey, James, Liz Smith is a longtime political strategist, and she's written a book about her experiences. She joins us. Liz, tell us what you wanted to achieve in any given Tuesday, a political love story. Um, well, I wanted to tell the truth about what it's like behind politics. You know, I decided that I wanted to do politics when I was 10 years old, and I saw The War Room starring one James Carville. Um, and I fell in love with with the excitement of it, but also the magnitude of politics back then. And when I was watching that movie, I noticed it was a very male movie. Um, There's a lot of James, a lot of George Stephanopoulos. You didn't see a lot of women in leadership positions there. And so with my book, one thing that I wanted to do was to write this is what it's like behind the scenes, but this is also what it's like behind the scenes for a woman. Um, and it's really important, I think, to get more women involved in politics, especially when you see these things like the Dobbs dis- decision coming down. And the way that we get more people into politics, I think, is pulling back the curtain a little bit and demystifying the process. You were a, uh, a press flag for many politicians, uh, many mm-hmm. who succeeded. Um 
tell me what was, how do you define success? There was one anecdote that you said that MSNBC's Katie Turr was repeating verbatim the line that you mm-hmm. had fed her. Is, is that the gold standard? No, that that isn't the gold standard. I mean, part of our, the job, I think when you are, you know, on the flack side is that you do pass along information to reporters. Um, no, but I think the, the gold standard is where um, uh, you can work well with the candidate to break through, break through with voters um, and, you know, obviously win an election. Let me, you know, we, we hear the word spin a lot. Ben Bradley, yeah. one of the great newspaper editors of all times, maybe the greatest, used to say that spin is just a nice word for lying. Tell us the difference. Mm, no, I, look, I, we, we use the term spin pretty casually um, in politics. It can be anything from a conversation just about a press release you put out to sort of, I guess, you know, putting lipstick on a pig. Um, and I, I don't think that spin counts as lying. There's lying counts as lying. Um, spinning is about making the best argument that you can for your candidate and for your cause and for the message that you're putting out. James. So, so by the way, uh, I'm taking you and Maggie Haven, Amanda Grunewald. We're going to go to dinner in Manhattan and we can talk <laughs> about women in politics and campaigns and journalism because I'm obviously a huge fan, particularly I've said about the war. So last week we had Tim Miller and we talked about the addictive nature of politics, about I, I call it the smell of cordite. Uh, it's referred to it, I think, in Apocalypse Now as the sweet smell of napalm in the morning. All right. And you obviously, you, you, you've taken a needle, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you were drawn to this early and you had a, a, a would you write about an experience with Andrew Cuomo? Mm-hmm. And you, you think the Klieg likes got to you a little bit there or, or looking in retrospect? How do you fit into that? Sure. So I did, I listened to your podcast with Tim and I read his book, which is fantastic because he does pull back the veil and he talks about the game aspect of politics, right? That you're sort of um, addicted to the adrenaline of it. Um, In my case, and look, I'm not going to lie. I do enjoy the ups and downs of it. It is an exciting business. Um, There's never a dull day, but um, for me, my weakness sometimes is um, uh, I think there are two parts to it. Loyalty is a big part of politics, right? Um, campaigns become families, and you develop extreme loyalty toward the people you work for um, to an extent that you don't maybe ask rational, reasonable questions that you should in the time um, in the time you have with them. I also had a, another situation in my life, which was that I had been the subject of a number of tabloid stories in the past over um, my relationship and uh, over one of my private relationships. Um, and I had lost my job um, for it with um, incoming Mayor Bill de Blasio. And uh, the way I felt going through that, um, seeing a lot of the cut and run people um, run away from me, you know, the people who were there for me one day suddenly weren't or um, was really tough to see. And and I was determined not to let someone else go through that process again. But it 
what I learned sort of sitting down writing all of this was, is that there's a difference between earned loyalty and blind loyalty. And no one should ever conflate blind loyalty with integrity as I think I did at some points in there. And it was important for me, if I'm going to be honest about other people in this book and mistakes they made for me to be honest about myself and the mistakes that I made. So uh, are you 40 yet, by the way? Just ask a personal question. I'm, I'm 39 years old. You're 39 years old. Yes. Okay. Uh, same age as my wife. Uh, never mind. <laughs> uh, so you've like you were mentored by David Axelrod and Obama campaign. You have worked at 40 years old, you might be the most impressive political resume I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you, you were Pete Buttigieg's uh, communications director. You were Terry McCall's press secretary. You were Andrew Cuomo's lead consultant. Uh, I could go on and on and on and on. And that 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 by the way, that that's a that's a pretty good career at age 40. I don't, I don't very few have sort of matched that. Uh, and you're also working for one of the favorite people of this show, and that's a, a Senator Mallory. Uh, McMurrow, who mm-hmm. we saw saw you with in in uh, in Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh, there's a big referendum in Michigan uh, on abortion, and apparently it's generated a lot of volunteers and and a lot of grassroots activity that we were looking to see if we would see this post Dobbs. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in Michigan, just with that referendum for a moment. So in Michigan, um, there is a law um, on the books from 1931 uh, that would criminalize the act of an abor- of, of, of abortion. So what um, uh, pro-choice activists are trying to do in Michigan is to bring it up for a vote um, and to strike it down. And it has... Um, uh, it is. It has galvanized a lot of the people that we saw, you know, come out in the 2018 midterms, in um, 2020, um, and especially a lot of women in Michigan, uh, because now with Roe falling, people are seeing the stakes of of, of these elections. That elections matter, um, and. While it polls the same abortion and choice poll the same among what men and women, there is no doubt that women feel this issue more viscerally um, because essentially politicians are saying that they have the right to make our health care choices for us. Um, and Michigan is going to be a really critical state in, in this upcoming year. And it's one of those states where all the top Republican gubernatorial nominees are election deniers um, and are people that we cannot trust in 2024 to validate any election for uh, a Democrat. So it's really, really, really important that we appeal to the to the not only to the base, but to a lot of the swing voters who might otherwise have uh, gone with Republicans to turn out for Democrats and to turn out to overturn that 1931 law. Albert? Um, you, you, you've worked for a lot of politicians, mm-hmm. as James says. Some, uh, Tom Daschle, Terry McAuliffe, Pete Buttigieg, I would say, certainly Senator McMurrow now, uh, are really quite admirable. Some, Andrew Cuomo, Elliot Spitzer, not so much. How do you choose uh, who you're going to work for? How much of it has to do with electability? How much, how, how much has to do with policy positions? How much character and how do you assess character? 
You know, that's a good question. Someone, someone was asking me about that yesterday. And um, so two things that I would say is one, I don't always get my assessments right, as I write about in the book. Um, in terms of, you know, with the people who I who I've worked for, who are people of great integrity, great character, great, um, who turn into being good candidates, the things that you look for in them and that I would encourage more people to look for are, do they fit the values of the voters? Yes, that's obviously an important thing. Can they raise the resources to win? Um, do they have a path to victory? But to look at, to, to look at, to try to see into them a little bit more, which is hard to do when you're interviewing. Um, but the candidates that that you mentioned, people like Terry McAuliffe, people like Pete Buttigieg, people like Mallory McMorrow, they are all people who are very comfortable in their own skin, um, which is very important because they're not just running around, putting their fingers in the wind um, and uh, you know using that to determine where they stand on issues. But they're also people of great humility. Um, and I understand that politics is not a bit, it, you, you don't necessarily associate politics with humility. Um, most people associate it, I would say, with narcissism. Um, but you do want to look for sort of uh, that in, in people that you're going to work for. Um, another important thing I always encourage people to do is to talk to people who've worked for someone before to get a sense of what they're like behind the scenes. Because as, as you guys know, someone can be amazing in front of a camera, but a complete nightmare uh, behind the scenes. Okay, Joe Biden says he's not going to run and, you know, he announces in January of 2023. What's your dream dream job in the next uh, presidential cycle? Senator McMurrow, Secretary Buttigieg, or someone else? Well, one, I do think Joe, I think Joe Biden is going to run. No, um, you don't really. You really don't think that. You know what? I do. I do. I've heard no <laughs> indications that he's not going spin, to. This is called spin, Liz. This is spin. <laughs> it is. It, okay. From anyone close to the president, have you heard that he is not going to run for re-election? No, and that, that is that a surprise to anyone? Okay, and I'm 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 waiting for someone to say, you know what, this Joker just ain't going next time. He's too old. And, and we also, I think, to some extent, I I can't say I know Joe Biden super well on a personal level, but I know that um, you know I know some of his personality traits, and one of them is that he's he's a stubborn guy, he's a prideful guy, and so I have a really hard time seeing him not running for re-election. And I would also just say in 2010, before I worked for Barack Obama, we saw this similar hand wringing about Barack Obama. Should he be re replaced by Hillary Clinton? You know, the party got shellacked in 2010. Do we need to be looking to other alternatives? So I think this, uh, some of this is history repeating itself. Um, so I, I'm going to reject the premise of the 2024 question, but for the future, I do think that the Democratic Party has a great bench, and we should be looking to new faces um, outside of Washington, D.C. Um, and we did see that there was a hunger for that in uh, during the 2020 primaries when people did gravitate toward Pete, who was a very unconventional candidate, 37 years 
years old, mayor of South Bend. Um, and we've got a tremendous bench out there, but we've got to start elevating them as a party. And I think the Republican Party sometimes does a better job of doing that. All right, James Carville. So I want your personal opinion on something. I'd say 80 percent of my conversation about politics over the last three weeks are about decoupling. That people sit, they see these polls and they call me and says, God damn, if I look internally, I think we're getting the shit, we'd get the mm-hmm. shit beat out of us. And yet we're three points off in the head to head. And that the law of political physics has continually dictated that in an off year, the end party's success is tied to presidential approval, which is obviously in the crapper right now. Are you seeing this decoupling, and do you can you have anything you want to add to this conversation, or what you think might be behind it, or, or are we just going to revert to the to the law of political physics and and get the crap beat out of us in November? Well, it is bizarre if you look at you know even the polling from yesterday. You saw Biden at thirty three, but on the generic ballot, Democrats I think narrowly leading Republicans, which suggests that. This year, we could sort of defy political gravity. Um, And we've had a lot of weird election cycles recently. You know, when Joe Biden won in 2020, Republicans picked up seats in the House. You would have thought that, um, you know, Democrats would have picked up seats in the House that year as well. So um, it's very unpredictable. But I think there is something behind it, which is... um, there's a choice in a lot of these elections. There's a choice in these House races. There's a choice in these gubernatorial races. There's a choice in the Senate races. And the Republicans are nominating uh, the most extreme candidates you can imagine. Completely crazy for 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 cuckoos. You know, they are um, uh, Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. It could be Carrie Lake in Arizona. Um, Tudor Dixon in Michigan. Um, These are all people who uh, denied the 2020 election results, don't believe in abortion under any circumstances, whether a woman is victim of rape, incest, or her life is at stake. Um, And there's that old saying Joe Biden used to always, you know, cite on the campaign trail, certainly not the first, which is that uh, we're running against the alternative, not the al- almighty. And the alternative is pretty scary and unattractive to people. One other thing I would say is in 2021, we did see a lot of Biden voters flip to go with Yunkin. Um, and that, you know, frankly, scared the bejesus out of me for the midterms. But there's a big difference between Glenn Yunkin and Doug Mastriano, right? And I have a hard time seeing Joe Biden voters um, crossing over to vote for Mastriano or even sitting on their hands and saying, this guy is fine, Um, just because of how truly, truly outside the mainstream all of these Republican nominees are. So you think it's candidate driven in in a lot of instances? Yeah. On the Republican side? Yeah, well... I think right now what that's that's part of the issue here is and why we're seeing some of this decoupling. Um, it could be wishful. It could be wishful thinking on my part. But in 2012, when I was working for Barack Obama, I remember hanging Todd Aiken 
and uh, Richard Murdoch around the neck of, you know, every Republican candidate for their comments about how, you know, rape was a gift from God and all that sort of thing. Those guys were extreme then. Their positions are now in the mainstream. Um, And it's really, really, really incumbent upon Democrats to not let this election turn into a referendum, but to, to make it a choice every day of the week. And we haven't successfully done that yet or turned that corner, but um, I, th- that is our chance. That's our shot with governor's races, with Senate races. It's a little harder with House races, which tend to be tied a little bit more to the national atmosphere. So the backstory about that is the, the undoing of Todd Aiken. And the undoing of Richard Lugar was the hand of Bradley Baychock in American Bridge. They actually got the tape when Nakin said that on some Sunday morning right-wing Christian radio show. And they also got the, the records that Lugar didn't have a place in Indiana, which, of course, caused him to lose the primary and elect Joe Donnelly, who is now the current ambassador to the Vatican. But at right. any rate, well, no, the, you know, oppo does matter and it changes these races. And um, and keep in mind, like there is this sort of fatalist view sometimes in the Democratic Party that just because a state is red now, that it's going to be red forever. Um, but we should not write off the reddest states. We've seen that in, in recent years in Indiana, in Alabama. Obviously, that was sort of a weird situation. But in Missouri, you know, Democrats could go, um, you know, nominate someone like Eric Greitens. And Eric Greitens makes Josh Hawley look like he's Jack Danforth. Republicans so, could Republicans yeah, could nominate re- Greitens. Republicans, Republicans. Sorry. Yes, I misspoke. Um, and and. We could have a, a a repeat of the situation, I think, when, you know, Republicans were nominating people like Christine O'Donnell in, in Delaware. So um, the Senate uh, Republicans recruiting efforts have been um, have have given us a bit of a gift in the so midterms. So you're now in Indianapolis that the. It, that didn't look like a beat party to me. There's some pretty good candidates. They're probably not going to win, but it, 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 it there's some there was some real enthusiasm. I thought it in that crowd yep. and pretty big. I mean, you know. So uh, I want to ask your opinion about one person, Joe Barra. Oh my! Well, I'm wearing a Bengals t-shirt right now. <laughs> um, I uh, I want to thank you for sending him to the Bengals from LSU. Um, I think he is uh, one hell of a quarterback, but also uh, a leader in a few different ways. You know, he's really led what has historically been a ragtag team, um, you know, to victory, um, almost victory. But he led them to the Super Bowl, which I count as a massive victory because no one was predicting that. But I've been surprised as well that he has shown, you know, some calm, calm, conscience and been willing to speak out on hot button issues like a woman's right to choose like gun control and that takes a lot of courage to do because you know a lot of nfl fans and i have been to a lot of Bengals fans um it doesn't strike me as a particularly progressive crowd um um, but you know and he's someone who's given back to his community a lot he's fought against childhood hunger and i would love to see more people like him in 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 the nfl well before i turn it back i I would like to see more people like you in politics and i think that you and joe burrow have a a really important quality in a competitor you don't spend time in the rearview mirror 
the, when Joe Barr is the most dangerous, if you look at when he was sacked in the Fiesta Bowl, the 19, right. 2019 Fiesta Bowl, you'll see what he is. And I, I, I really I followed you and talked to other people about you. Obviously, I've read about you. And, I, you know, you just keep that don't give a shit, you know, plow ahead, win, beat the crap out of them attitude that you have now. Just don't lose that edge and don't let them get you down. Just stay focused. I would, yes, I, I would, yeah, I think that's true, but you've also got to, and I write very frankly about this in my book, um, is don't dwell on your mistakes, but learn from them. Um, and, um, you know, that's something I'm, I try to do every day. And I think that everyone should do in politics, which is not let them define you, but don't repeat them in the future. That's a good idea. Good idea. Well, I I I really can't thank you enough, and uh, I'm gonna put that little dinner together in Manhattan, and we'll get drunk and tell lies. <laughs> Great, okay. and, and thank you, and thank you, James. I, I I mean, I really do mean it. That that watching you um, as a kid, that was sort of the what got me into politics and got me here. So it's an honor, honor, honor to speak with you, and also with you today, Al. Okay, the book is Any Given Tuesday, A Political Love Story. Liz Smith, thank you so much for being with us. Great, thank you. Go Joe Barr. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right, James, now we have our questions from such... Such informed listeners. Boy, it is hard to pick out the six or seven best questions because there are so many good ones. The first one comes from Jeff in uh, St. Pete Beach, Florida, and he's talking about the Democrats. He said, our leadership is old. It's a gerontocracy, but we don't have very many that are better. What people would you choose to replace them in the Democratic Party? What young people should the Democrats be looking to, James? Okay, uh, uh, thank you for this question, because this is something I really want to talk about. There's a sense that, well, maybe Biden will have to run because the, the Democratic beach is, bench is really weak. That That is decidedly not the case. They are more talented. And I think we, we talked about in one of the future shows to just go through the potential Democratic field. And there is that, that class of 2018, there's so much talent. And the Democratic House members, it, it, it's hard to comprehend. There's so much talent of potential presidential candidates. And I mean people with real political skill, with real, with real fundraising powers, with, with real ability to attract attention. So I, I've never seen, a, a assuming that, that, that Biden decides not to run, I, I'm not even close have I ever seen a, a feel as potentially talented as the Democratic feel would be in 2024 in an open election. And I'm sorry, I'm going to be 78 in October, but if, if there's not some demographic churn in the party, and I mean real churn and real fast, the, the image of the party is so bad, and this is poll after poll after poll after poll after poll. Right? It, it, one of the things that is stunning to people is how well we're doing in some of these trial heats because in how, the, just how horrible their candidates are. And the party's being propped up, a lot of them, by the small donor base. I mean, the, the, the contribution differential of small donors 
favoring the Democrats is something unheard of in American politics. But I, I'm telling you, if we don't have some quick generational churn in the Democratic Party, we're going to fall off the face of the earth. Yeah, and it's not just at the White House level. It's at the congressional it's level, not. too. Right. And, and people and, that I really, really, I, I love President right. Biden. I love, uh, I think Nancy Pelosi is, you know, one of the greatest speakers that ever lived. I think Senator Schumer is a very aggressive guy. You know, I, I, it's just, man, and you just hear it all over. I mean, people that do focus groups are just like, Wow. It just, well, it, let me give you, you another change. Uh, and, and, and it's something that that feeling also spills over to the other side. They have younger congressional leaders, by and large, with the exception of McConnell. But the poll in, in Iowa, where Chuck Grassley, uh, who's been in politics for well over 50 years, is only running, you know, <clears throat> a little more than a margin of error ahead of a new Democratic candidate, a, a retired admiral. And people basically out there think Chuck Grassley is too old. You know what, James? He's 89. They're right. <laughs> of course he is. And, you know, it's, I don't know what to, we need to look up what the law on third party candidates is. But, but you know, a lot of people think it'd be smart for Democrats to get behind some libertarian candidates in places like Nevada, uh, Arizona. And I, I don't know if it's possible in Iowa, but if you look at that Anselza poll, which we know is, you know, probably the best poll you can imagine. There's a large undecided, but but a lot of them would say neither a third party. I mean, it, they're not disengaged. I mean, it's abundantly clear that they don't want to vote for Grassley. It's equally abundantly clear that they don't want to vote for a Democrat. And my advice, and I pass it on, is for him to run on physical energy and political moderation. Don't think you got to stimulate the base and come out for a bunch of goofy, you know, progressive stuff because the base is stimulated. And you just got to assure enough people that it, it, it's safe to vote for you, that you're not going to go with this San Francisco school board crap. You're talking you about Admiral Frankel. Uh, Admiral in, Frankel, in, yes. In Iowa, He's got a and, uh, real, your, real your, record, real deep roots. And your colleague, Paul Begala, who knows a little bit about politics, says that's exactly what he's doing. So Iowa right. may be one of those real sleeper races to watch. Paul's really year. involved in this. He's uh, the one that put The next question comes from Don. And, yeah. Don is an Air Force veteran in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. And he said, it makes me nauseous, he says, to inquire, but should Joe Biden provide a Gerald Ford deal to Donald Trump? If he accepts a pardon, he has an implicit admission of guilt and would likely to be barred from running again. Don, I think it's probably a moot question. Uh, it's not that I don't think uh, Trump may be indicted. He may well be indicted, but they'll stretch it out, I think, probably for at least a couple of years. If in the unlikely event, it's not a moot question, and it came to that uh, as one who was outraged when Gerald Ford uh, pardoned Richard Nixon uh, and then later came to see that it was a very wise and smart thing to do, uh, as did some other people who were even more involved in outrage like Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. If we came to that, I don't, I don't think we will, uh, and you could get Trump to admit he was, he was guilty and be denied from ever running for office, yeah, I'd go for that, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. The problem with that is you got to get Georgia and New York State and other jurisdictions going. It's just as likely he gets indicted, which a, a presidential pardon would do him no good. In, in, in a state-related case in, in Georgia, potentially New York. So that, I mean, that throws a wrench. Yeah, particularly Georgia. Uh, the yeah, New York criminal get... thing uh, it seems less likely, but Georgia, uh, you know, it is relevant. Right. Derek in Edmonton, Alberta, James, is interested in your views on the chances for Beto O'Rourke winning in Texas. 
With all this happening nationally, Roe v. Wade, he says, and in the state, Uvalde, uh, shouldn't this race be one where Democrats have a real shot? Well, actually, take a little bit of issue. It's, it, 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 it's weird because it should be one where Democrats really don't have a shot. You know, in a, a by all historical standards, we're in a, 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 a terrible cycle. I mean, the first election after you never got, you know, presidential approval has traditionally been a good barometer of well, a party does in the midterms. It's awful. And yet, for some reason, uh, Beto is, is hanging in there pretty good. And he's and he raised $27.5 million in a quarter. I don't know what that means because no one knows what it means because no money. one has ever <laughs> seen anything like this. And... And people in Texas tell me he's a much improved candidate, much improved. He's he, he he's done what he has to do. He's learned from defeat. Now, you go on a, in Texas, decidedly Republican, not tilt, bent, bend almost to it. And you're going in what most handicappers say is a terrible cycle for Democrats. Yet this weird stuff that's going on out there. Uh, so I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's a money question, and if somebody has a better answer than I just gave, I'm I'm open to listen to it. But it, it is weird. But the, the the small donor totals, and to some extent, the 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 head to head when you when you do these camp when you do the, these guys head to head, you you look at posters. Tell me all the time, James. If I looked at every question on this poll, but the head to head, I think Democrats get beat by 15, 20 points. Yet we're, we're Three points up. I don't know. Yeah, uh, uh, he also, uh, another headwind down there is the voting restrictions they enacted. We don't know what the the, uh, the effect will right. be, but uh, uh, that that Texas Republican Party, James, is as crazy as any Republican True. Party in the country. You know, he's running with a lieutenant governor uh, who is to the right of Attila the Hun and an attorney general who has been indicted in the state and uh, his former aides have gone to the federal prosecutors. So, you know, maybe. I think Beto, if, he, if you're right, he's a much better candidate. And with that kind of money, uh, look at Texas, too. Yeah, I don't know. I this don't know. next question, by the way, comes from Blair in Denton, Texas. Uh, okay. Blair asks, what more does... Mer what more does Merrick Garland need to bring charges against Trump? Trump still has a firm grip on the GOP. And from what I've seen so far, I don't think Garland has the balls to bring charges. Blair, that is very premature. They have, they are doing, it appears to me from just what I read, uh, they've gone after, uh, they've, they've, they've raided uh, John Eastman's home uh, or telephone and the former, uh, that, that, that fool who, was, who Trump tried to get take over the Justice Department. I think there's more of an investigation going on than we realize. I think it's more serious than we realize. And I think in the end, what he's going to do is what Andrew Weissman, a former really great prosecutor, one time guest on this show wrote last week, you want a hub and spoke. Um, uh, indictment. It's not about January the 6th. It's about a whole series of efforts to overturn the democratic process. And it's not going to happen before the election, but uh, I, I, I don't, Blair, I think you're too pessimistic. I don't think that uh, Trump is out, of, is out of Garland's grasp uh, at this time. So let's see what happens. Yeah, I'm going to straddle this question. I, I think, you know, it remains it's an open question is to Garland really wanting to aggressively do this? Uh, but but 
you're right. There is activity, and I mean, it, 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 I think he's fully aware of this, and he should be. You touch a king, you kill a king. He, he, he's got to have a pretty ironclad case, right, to proceed with this. Yeah, he, but, he not only has to get a conviction, he has to persuade at least some of the public uh, that, uh, right, that might right. worry about it's it. Right, it's got to be pretty, uh, pretty, pretty. It's not going to happen before job. next year, but don't. But Blair, don't, no, that, yeah. don't dismiss I, that's, it yet. That's, that's, that's activity below the waterline. Yeah. James Bowe in uh, Santa Monica, California. Boy, that's oh, a, wow. What a fabulous place. Uh, wants to know, have Democrats, This will <clears throat> you'll love this, have Democrats lost touch with reality and only try to cater to the very left uh, who doesn't seem to be looking at the big picture? And then as a secondary to that, he wants to know why more people aren't talking about nuclear power. Well... Let me do reverse order. If somebody talks to me about climate and they're not talking about nuclear, you're not, you're not part of the conversation. I'm sorry. And, and one of the, you know, Germans are, are you know, thought of as to be a, a really kind of smart technological people. I suspect that that reputation is, is justified. One of the dumbest things they did was shut down six nuclear plants. All right. And, you know, that people have saying, you know, well, you know, we'll figure out the storage issues a long time before we figure out how to fill up the hole in the ozone layer, whatever we got. So as to what was the first part of the question? <laughs> I got jumped to the <laughs> The first part of the question uh, was that uh, have Democrats lost touch with reality and are catering too right. much to the only, left? Only about, about the Pew polling, only about. But other polls, only about ten to fifteen percent of the party are, are like that, and, and they are overly defining the other eighty-five percent, and they keep doing stupid stuff, you know, like faking handcuffs, and they're they're costing us. And the the, the number of Republicans who are out and out nuts is three times of the number of Democrats who are out and out silly. So we get defined by our silly, small, silly faction more than they get defined by the maybe majority nuts faction, for all I know. And it, it's it's irritating. And, uh, you know, you, you, you can't in a country people have a right to free speech. But I, I, I just wish they would understand the staggering amount of damage that they're doing and the damage they're doing in places like Iowa. The damage they're doing in, in places like Kansas, you know, the damage they do it they did in Virginia. It, it's 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 unbelievable, and I don't even know if these people are even self-aware of how freaking unpopular they are. I don't know. People can't stand them. Hey, James. Next, Robin in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. I know that not far from where I grew up. Uh, says I she. Robin, I think it's a she, says if Biden were to announce that he was not going to run in 2024, wouldn't it allow other candidates to insert some excitement and energy into the Democratic Party, give voters a chance to become familiar with those candidates? Robin, you're absolutely right. I've come around to James's view. I don't think Biden is going to be the nominee uh, in 2024. I don't think he's going to run again. Uh, he's not going to do anything before the midterms. He shouldn't probably, but sometime shortly thereafter, I mean within a couple months, 
It would be much better if he were to announce that he is not going to run. I don't believe the lame duck rap is very real. I don't think it really affects much as far as Congress is concerned. And you're right, it would give uh, voters a chance to look at those other candidates, which James has said uh, often is a much, a potentially much stronger and more impressive field than people seem to realize. You know, uh, there's a sense that, well, if he's going to say that he's not running, of course, he, let, let me be clear. He is entertaining no thought about not running. He's completely said he is running. Uh, but you, you always have to account for the possibility of political reality here. And, and you know, if he's, well, he's going to do it, he's got to do it early so, you know, all the candidates can get going. You know, I, he might be do a favor if he was going to do it to do it later and just, you know, have a, a starter's gun go off and, and when you, you, you get a, a, a lot of attention. I don't think it... You know, we did, Bill Clinton didn't announce, this is a little bit, it was an entirely different world, until October of 1991. Uh, you know, you can do a lot of politicking in, you know, a couple of three months. But I, I don't know, but it's, it, and boy, when you look at that Senate governor's map in 2024, uh, you see how critical it is to have a, a kind of unified, enthusiastic party. It, it's essential. And if you look at some of the numbers, I mean, the, the image of the Democratic Party is frankly for shit right now. And and, I, and this is not based on a poll. This is based on multiple, multiple polls and focus groups. Uh, yeah. well, I, James, I, 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 think, I think October would be, be a little late because, among other things, if he be, doesn't run, uh, Kamala is going to run, I'm sure. I don't think she's going to do very well. I don't think he's going to clear the field. But there's a little process, you know, maybe May or June, uh, but in any maybe, event. Maybe it'd be better. But yeah. I'm just saying you can, you'd be surprised how fast people can move. Hey, Jeff in Winfield, Kansas, wants to ask you, why aren't Democrats shouting, shouting from the mountaintop over and over again the threat to democracy the Republican Party poses? Every candidate for public office, from school board to the presidency, should be forced to disown in unambiguous terms Trump and supporters of the big lie. You know, I, I have no problem criticizing the press. None, right? But I, they've done a. I don't know how much more they can do on a big lie. I mean, every time they write a story about this, they point to the fact that there's no evidence. I, I, I think that you know, points well taken. I think it's up to people. I, I it's just got to come out. But I, I can't. In good conscience, I can't criticize the press for not bringing to light how big a lie this is. They've done it. They've done a good job on that. They have not done a good job on blowing the horn on how significant this election in Kansas is. Not remotely well, a good job. The 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 latest. Uh, not that we need anything more, but a whole group of. I get eight or ten prominent conservatives, former Speaker Paul Ryan, two distinguished former Republican judges, uh, former Senator Jack Danforth, uh, Ted Olson, uh, all came out saying there's absolutely no evidence uh, of, of any significant fraud last time. So you're right. Uh, it's out there. Okay, keep those, keep, keep those emails, keep those letters coming in because we love those questions. You're from all over the country, and wherever you are, you ask good questions. We love them.
Hey, James, I feel a little bit guilty uh, about this out outrage, but Herschel Walker, the Donald Trump appointed candidate for the United States, anointed candidate for the United States Senate in Georgia, has proven to be so unready for prime time, it almost seems cruel to point it out. Earlier, he talked about the 52 states in America, and he said the solution to school shootings is to create a department that, quote, looks at men, that looks at, w at women, that looks at school media. I have no idea what that means. His latest was to criticize Democrats' environmental proposals because the result, he says, it would be China would send all its dirty air over here while taking all our clean air. His personal and professional lives are full of controversies. You know, the Walker handlers are trying to keep his former football great under wraps, away from the press because they're just scared to death as to what he's going to say. But as another great athlete, boxer Joe Lewis said, you can run, but you can't hide, Herschel. Well, you know, let me say five words. United States Senator Tommy Tuberville, right? I, what we know is you can be colossally stupid and ill-informed or, or misinformed or have any kind of crazy thing you want. And, you know, if you run in the right cycle in the right place, you can win. I, I, and Warnock, is, by the way, has turned out to be one of the more upside surprises in the Democratic Party. I, I, I think by Reverend Warnock is a very viable presidential candidate at some point in his political career. I mean, he's a very skilled guy. Uh, I agree with you, James, in Georgia ain't Alabama. I know, but, you, you know, you get a bad enough year, you know, anything it could happen. And as we know, stupidity is hardly a disqualifying trait to, to get Republicans to vote for you. They actually kind of like stupidity. I mean, not like it, they elevate it. They in, embellish it. They, they, they love it. The stupider you are, the better you do. And he's pretty stupid, let me tell you. He's really stupid. <laughs> I mean, he's world class. But I don't know if he. I'd like. I'd like to have a debate with him and and Coach Tuberville. Ooh, man. Any outrage, James? You know, I I, I guess it's an outrage. And there's so many people to be outraged. But this Ohio, Indiana abortion story, and I'm sure everybody knows the facts of this. A 10-year-old in Ohio was raped, and the, the lawyers thought that there was some danger in performing the abortion in Ohio and less in Indiana. So that's what happens. It's a 10-year-old was raped. And the in, Indianapolis Star ran a story having a named source, a, a, a board-certified, highly trained OBGYN, I think is on the faculty of the University of Indiana Medical School. And, okay, so you had the usual shit. I mean, the Wall Street Journal editorial page and Tucker Carlson. Everybody jumped all over it saying it's not true, it's not whatever. And then you got these fact-check pontificators who just, could, because they have so many Republican facts that, that are false, they look for anything on the, the Democratic side to criticize. So Glenn Kessler, who's obviously a very smart guy, writes a thing saying, well, it's not really proven, and it was sloppy journalism, and it's likely not true. Of course, the next day, they arrest the guy. 
And then they said, well, that, that's the Indianapolis Star's prerogative if they want to run a one-source story. Well, the one source was a pretty freaking good source who gave a name. She performed the procedure. And, and I don't know. I, I, I think these guys are so shell-shocked because they just have to write so many times that Republicans lie that they're just looking for something to criticize Democrats for. And that was, and instead of saying, wow, did we get that wrong? No, 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 no. You know, we, I have journalistic standards. The Indianapolis Star does not. I guarantee you the Washington Post or anybody would have run that story based on the, you know, the doctor that, that actually did the procedure, who gave her name, who was eminently qualified, and who would have everything to risk for being wrong about a story like this. So I, I, I color me unimpressed with the Washington Post fact check on this issue. You are so colored, James. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carvel and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd appreciate it if you'd check out the links to our sponsors, Miracle Brand, Raycon, and Real Paper in our show notes. We thank you for supporting them. When you do, it helps make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe on Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our War Room planning.